Open up to Joshua. Joshua chapter uno. I've been working on my Spanish. <laughs> Using Duolingo. It's been fantastic. It's been that way for a while. It's okay. It gives you some incentive to keep going without failing. <laughs> All right. So Joshua chapter 1. So we're going to finish out this lesson today. Um, and then, um, you know, a couple other prayer requests as you can, as you just kind of think about us as leaders, you know, um, next Sunday and the Sunday after and the Wednesday in between, Rick's going to be taking everything there. So just about the lessons that he's going to be doing. Uh, be praying for Bobby because Bobby's going to have the chance to preach on a Sunday night in Mexico. Um, so he's pretty stoked about that. <laughs> and so is Tim Finley. So he's preaching on a Sunday night. So and then I'm going to be preaching the, the main services on Sunday morning. So I got to still put some of those messages together this week as well. So um, but I'm just really excited. I love Brian and Heidi and being with them. And I think it's going to be a great, great trip. So we'll see what we can do. I know that on some Wednesdays we've tried to video chat in to see you guys. Maybe we can try to do that depending on what's going on the Wednesday night that we're, uh, we're, that we're there. Um, I don't know if we're going to be at the campground or not, but we can try to do something like that. It should be fun. All right. So Joshua chapter one. All right. So leading up to this point, why are we doing Joshua? Why are we talking about walking with God? Somebody give me a bit of review. Yes. Yes, absolutely. What else? Anything else from you personally that we've gone over in the last couple weeks? Anybody? Anybody? We got Noah, who's always willing to answer. But I'm waiting for. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I can say that's my testimony in my life because there's a lot of times that I have thought in my own heart and in my own mind that this is the right way to go. And it's really led me into some trouble in my life, things that I regret a lot, rather than saying, you know what, God, is this something that you want me to do? And then following his lead. And that may seem rather simple, but I think most of us, we just don't do that. I think a lot of us, we make decisions and then we ask God to bless those decisions. And that's not how we should be at all, at all. So, any other things that came up over the last couple weeks that really convicted you guys or maybe meant a lot to you or something you've been thinking about? Last chance. Going once. Going twice. Okay. All right. So, last week we talked about how coming out of salvation, and we talked about salvation being the most important thing, and and we mentioned about how there are three decisions that you're going to make for the rest of your life that really determine everything. Number one is Salvation. salvation. Your decision to be saved or not is the most important decision that you make. Number two, who you marry. Who you marry. Because who you marry, it, God, he wants it to be for a lifetime, and it will really direct the course of your entire life. You're permanently joining your life to someone else's. So that could really make a huge difference on where your life goes. And then number three, your career, your job. And, and of course, your job you can change. You know, that's something that you can go through, and it may take some time, and it may be something that you might have to go back to school in order to get a new job. 
but and so that one's easily changed or easier, but not so much when it comes to marriage and definitely not when it comes to salvation. I mean, once you're dead, it's over. So if you've made that decision for salvation, awesome. And if you haven't, well, then you can't go back on that. So those are the three most important decisions that you can make. And so the Bible says that when you get saved, it says very specifically in 1 Corinthians 3, hold your spot in Joshua 1, go to 1 Corinthians 3. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament, right next to 2 Corinthians. Uh, I think first is first. Okay. Pretty sure. <laughs> All right, first Corinthians three. So it starts talking about how we are God's building. So if you back it up just a little bit, verse 11 is going to be our focus. But if you back it up just a little bit to verse 9, where it says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. So there's two examples here that he gives. Once you accept Christ as your Savior, you are now God's husbandry. What does that mean? What is husbandry? workers of the field so more like a garden and which is why john 15 jesus used the example of the vine and the branch talking about the different grape vines and things like that so as a gardener as a husbandman you are like a plant and like a plant if you've ever done any gardening how many of you love weeding is there any weirdos out there that love weeding Okay, Brandy's a weirdo. Done it. That is <laughs> such a lie. That's why she loves it. She's never done. All right. <laughs> Didn't know that would open up a can of worms. All right, so weeding is not fun. It, it really is not fun. But what's the purpose of weeding? Why would you weed? There's a couple reasons. So a plant can grow better. What else we got? Yeah, the weeds will end up killing... The stuff that you want or the weeds can take the nutrients from the ground that could be used for the other plant to make it more fruitful, right? So as a husbandman, as they go in and they take care of trimming the branches, pulling the weeds, tending everything, adding watering, whatever, the whole purpose is to make that plant more fruitful. So do you think God wants you to be fruitful in your life? Probably. Yes. <laughs> it's an easy answer. Yes, he does want you to be fruitful. And so that's why God will do some major weeding in your life if you're not willing to do it yourself. Because he is the husbandman. Now, that's the difference. We can do some of the weeding in our own life. We can pull stuff out. But a lot of times we just don't because we don't like it. We don't like our soil being disturbed. And God's like, all right, I can't let this go any farther. Because there comes a point in a garden that if you don't weed... You're done. I mean, you might as well just chop the whole thing down, mow it all over, and it is absolutely done. So there's that. And then the second example is that you're God's building. And so that's why he says in verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the beginning of your Christian walk, your salvation is the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then your life is built on top of it. And that's why we're talking about building properly on your foundation. So the assumption is this morning that you are born again. And the assumption is going into this lesson that you desire to walk with God, that you want to be fruitful, that you want to have a building that will honor and glorify God. Is that you? If that's not you, then what's going on? Because God wants it to be built. If you are saved, God wants you to be built for his honor and glory. 
And if you keep getting in the way, what does God have to do? He's eventually going to have to knock you out of the picture. And I know some circumstances, and I've heard some stories of Christians that have been so disobedient in their life and so rebellious against God that there's no other option than for God to take them off this planet. Because they were just so stubborn. And there was no other option. And their choices led them down that path where God's like, I can't do anything with you. You're supposed to honor and glorify me. And so you have because you accepted my son as your savior. And that brings God honor and glory, which God is totally happy about. But outside of that, if you're not willing to do anything else, then what are you here for? So you can glorify me better if I just take you out and take you home. And I know of some circumstances where Christians have struggled with this for their entire life. And then their life was taken out and their life was snuffed out. And because of their funeral, many people ended up getting saved. And I know some testimonies that there have been more people saved because of someone's death than their life. And in that regard, they ended up honoring and glorifying God that way. And that wasn't necessarily a bad thing because that person is now in heaven with God for eternity. So you just got to think about things from God's perspective. Because I think about this kind of stuff and it puts a good sense of the fear of God inside of me. Which is not a bad thing. The fear of God that I want to honor, that I respect him. But I am also afraid of him because of who he is and what he can do. And so it causes me to want to obey him. Because I love him and because I fear him. But really I found in my life that I will obey him more consistently when I love him. I don't obey God as consistently when I just fear him only. I have to do it because I love him. But I tend to love him more because I fear him. It's a weird dynamic, but that's what the Bible talks about. And that was David. David was a man after God's own heart. Okay, so in talking about this, the first thing that we have to talk about, and we, we spent a little bit of time mentioning this last week, is in order to build on your foundation properly, you have to, number one, establish and maintain proper leadership. Establish and maintain proper leadership. So go back to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. And we'll be spending most of our time in here. We might do a couple cross-references, but I want you to see the example that's given to us in the book of Joshua. So Joshua chapter 1, we already read through verses 1 through 9 last week. And we talked about how God spoke to Joshua. And when God spoke to Joshua, and so that's your first couple blanks if you don't have them filled in, establish and maintain proper leadership. And the sub-point under that, A, God speaks to Joshua or Jesus. So He establishes this. God does not speak directly to the nation of Israel. He doesn't do that. Now, I think he desires to, and he wanted to. And that's why when you think back over the book of Exodus, after the nation of Israel, they they escaped. God redeemed them out of the land of Egypt. Then what was the next thing that they came to? It was the mountain called Mount Mountain. Come on. It's where the Ten Commandments were. Cloud of thick darkness, lightning, thundering, everything. If you grew up in this church, you should know this. Come on. Mount. Yes, Sinai. Mount Sinai. All right. The basics. We need to do some Bible trivia in here. I think we need to do it. I think they're really good. Okay. Mount Sinai. All right. Mount Sinai was critical. So in this, at this mountain, you had God that showed up at the top of this mountain. At the top of this mountain, it was like a giant massive thunderstorm, earthquakes, and everything. And it's interesting because God could have done whatever he wanted. You know, I mean, literally, he could have done whatever he wanted. I mean, if he could come in the form of a human being like Jesus as a baby and speak to people and to talk with them face to face, he didn't have to do it that way. Why do you think God chose to do it that way with the nation of Israel? Show his power. Yes. Why? Because they're 
they were very prideful, but that they would fear him. That they would fear him. That they would know, hey, we're not messing around. This God redeemed us out of the land of Egypt that we couldn't rescue ourselves from. And now we're out in this wilderness and we see that and they were terrified. They were absolutely terrified. And think about it from the nation of Israel's perspective. They were in Egypt for how long? Over 400 years. 400 years. That's a long, long time. How many generations is that? If a generation is 40 years... 10. So over 10 years, 10, gener- 10 years, 10 generations. So think about that. How far back have you gone in your family tree? Have you gone back 10 generations to know who your family were? Okay. Interesting. Just think about that for a second. Going back 10 generations, my family would have been, let's see, at least one, two, three, four would have been in Germany. And that's just four, let alone where they were at prior to that. Another six. Are you kidding? My family could have been who knows where on this planet. And so think about how long the nation of Israel, they were in Egypt. So they would have had a routine. They would have had a certain family style living in Egypt. And so God had to do something very dramatic in order to get them to understand your life is now going to be very different. And so he brought this whole illustration in about the fear of God. And so here, when you come to this point, the reason why God does not speak directly to the people is because the people didn't want to speak directly to God. You go back and study out in Exodus, and they're like, no, 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 we don't want to talk to God. Moses, you go talk to God, and then we'll talk to you. So this established this whole mediator relationship, which was the picture that God wanted to establish anyway with Jesus. And so that's why we have that mediator in Jesus Christ to be the one who goes on our behalf to God for us and now can bridge that gap so we can have a relationship with God. Okay. So now you have Joshua that now takes Moses' place, and God is now speaking to Joshua. And then after that, we hit... That God speaks to Joshua, and then we left off at letter B. Joshua, or Jesus. Jesus, speaks to the people. So now, after God spends time talking to Joshua, telling him all these things, and explaining the future, what they're going to do, giving him vision, giving him courage, different things that he's telling Joshua alone that Joshua's going to need, now Joshua, or Jesus, now speaks to the people. So let's take a, verse, take a look at verse 10 and 11. Give me a reader, 10 and 11. Who would like that? Sam, go ahead. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the hosts and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go and to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess. Okay, so there's the first one. So Joshua commanded the officers, notice that, he commanded the officers of the people, saying, and then he gives them something to say. So I want to stop at verse 10 here really quick. So verse 10, he says, I need your help. There's no way that a leader can do things alone. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. If everything were on my shoulders to get everything done, nothing would get done the way it should get done. There's no way. I am one person. I can't do it. The number of people of the nation of Israel this time was well over 600,000 people. One guy communicating to 600,000 people about coordinating them to cross over the Jordan and go into the promised land. He couldn't do it alone. He needed to have officers. And this is something that you guys need to understand. This is a basic concept of leadership. You can't do it alone. We spent some time talking about this at camp. We cannot do this alone. We can't do this alone. We need each other. So Joshua then speaks to his officers, and the officers then go and they speak to the people. And if you were to have a a, a common illustration about how this would work today, it would be kind of like pastors. So you have a church, which God says the church locally, but also abroad, is called the what? The body. 
body of Christ. And who, according to the Bible, is the head of the body? Jesus, not pastors. Not pastors. Pastors are called the under-shepherds. They are not the shepherd. So it is our responsibility as pastors of this church to listen to Jesus, which means that we're walking with him, we're hearing what he has to say, we're praying to him, we're being sensitive on how he's moving and how he's working according to what the word of God says, and then we make our decisions based on what he tells us to do. That is part of my responsibility. So in this illustration, Jesus then speaks to officers, and that's why it's also called offices within the church. There's only two offices in the church, and that is the office of a pastor, also synonymous with bishop or elder in the scriptures when you study it out. So they're all the same. And then deacon. So there's only two offices, pastor, deacon. And those are the only two officers within the New Testament church. So through that authority structure, then the church can be organized to do whatever it's supposed to do. So since you have this here, this is very important for us to understand because there's a lot of people today that say things like, well, you don't need to go to church to be a good Christian. But do you? I mean, do you need to go to church to be a Christian? No. Anybody can get saved anywhere at any point in time. They've got the spirit of God inside of them. They're good. But to be a good, fruitful Christian, do you need to go to church? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because this is how God has established it. And we don't have time to go through all that this morning. But if you study the book of Acts, you find out that when Christ left, he replaced himself with three things. The word of God, the spirit of God, and the local church. And so as a Christian, if you want to be a good, faithful Christian, you will be involved in all those three things. All three. You will be in the word of God daily. You will be in submission to the spirit of God as he's convicting you in your life. And you'll be involved and faithful in your local church. If you do those three things, you will be a faithful Christian. Remove one of them and you cannot be faithful. It's impossible. And so that's why we see this pattern here. It's just a good pattern of leadership. He speaks to the officers. So I wanted to make mention of that first. Second thing, look at verse 11. Pass through the host. So this is the commandment he tells the officers to tell the people. Pass through the host and command the people saying, prepare you. Okay, this is something I learned. I want you to know this. A lot of people pronounce this word, like you said, as victuals. It is actually pronounced vittles. I don't know why, but if you look up the pronunciation, it's called vittles. Okay. So every time I read this, I have to retrain my mind. It says victuals. No, it's vittles. I don't know why, but that's just the way you pronounce that word. For within three days, you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. So that is the commandment that he disperses among the people. Now listen to this. Look at this. Just just looking at your Bible, look at this. So you have verse one through verse nine. So you have how many verses right there where God speaks to Joshua? Nine. Okay, now you look at those. How many verses did he give just to command to the people? One. So far, so far, there's two messages to the people. One is here, but he gives one there. Now, this, this tells me something very, very interesting. There are some things that God tells leaders. There are certain things that God teaches you, and you don't necessarily teach everybody everything that God has taught you. It's impossible. Like whenever I'm preparing for messages and stuff, there's so many things that God is teaching me. And then when I communicate it to you, you're only getting like a fraction of what God has taught me. Only like a fraction. And so then your job is to take those things that God is teaching you and then run those out. Because I can't teach you everything that there is to know about walking with God. It's impossible. 
There's no way. That's why Jesus told his disciples when he told them to go to all nations and make disciples of everybody, go evangelize, make disciples. He says, teaching them to observe all things. He didn't say teach them all things. He said, teach them to observe all things. Show them how to be observant and how to walk with God when it comes to all these areas. Just like I taught you. It is impossible. I cannot teach you everything. You can ask me tons of questions and I'll answer as many questions as you have. But at the end of the day, unless you actually walk with God, you won't learn anything. You have to walk with God. You have to use these teaching moments that we have on Sunday, Wednesday, discipleship to be the launching pad into your daily walk with God. Because if you don't crack open your Bible during the week and you don't spend any quality time with God during the week, you will not grow. You can't grow. You cannot lean upon Sunday morning, Wednesday night, discipleship meetings to grow. It's to kickstart you. It's kind of like a lighter fluid. Sorry, Andy. It's kind of like lighter fluid. I just realized Andy burned himself pretty severely with lighter fluid. Um, fire. Yeah, yeah. But lighter fluid was involved. Right, right, right. Lighter fluid has one purpose. What is it? To burn Andy's... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what is it for? To start the fire. But in order to keep the fire going, what do you have to do? You have to put more on. You have to add fuel to the fire. Anyone start a fire before? Just even a campfire. Yeah. Okay. So you can use things. Like whenever we start campfires at our house, we use dryer lint, which is actually very, very flammable, in case you didn't know that. So we use dryer lint, and we even throw dry lint inside of old uh, you know, toilet paper rolls, and we put those as kindling. And I tell you, bam, it lights up. But when you're building a fire, you put those things in there, and then you tend to put like twigs and sticks and things that will easily burn but in order to keep that fire going what do you need to put on a giant log if you try to start a fire with a giant log how well does that go it does not go well at all and so when you think about things like that that's what the christian walk is like there are times where you might be just a dead log and you need some sparks to be put in there you need some kindling that's Sunday, that's Wednesday, that's discipleship. But you need to keep putting logs onto the fire afterward to keep it burning. That's your responsibility. So it's something just to think about. Couches work too. What does? Couches. Couches. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yes. We also tried to burn computers, but that's another story. Okay. All right. So <laughs> just totally got me off track. Whatever. All right. It's a good thing I love you, Andy. Okay. All right, so here's the thing. So you have that. And then the other thing that I notice here too is that he doesn't tell them the whole plan. Like he doesn't tell them the whole plan. What does he tell them? He tells them in, read it again if you don't know, verse 11. Three days. <laughs> okay, three days, which by the way is a big deal. By the way, three in the Bible, that's huge. All right, three days. We're going to pass over Jordan and we're going to go into this land. That's all he tells them. He doesn't tell them how. He doesn't tell them the details of the plan. He doesn't say anything. He just says, just get ready. We're going to go and we're going to take this land. God does not tell you everything. What he does tell you is, get ready, be faithful, because we're going to go. Yeah, but mm -mm. get ready and be faithful because we're going to go. Why does God have to tell you everything about everything in order for us to be okay to go? If you were to do that, what would you no longer have to have? Faith. Trust. What was yours? 
Yeah, you would have to. And I think there's a lot of us that we're not willing to walk with God because we want to have all the answers to everything before we say, okay, I'll take this next step. When God's like, no, do you just trust me? I have gone through stuff with this with my kids like mad crazy. And I've shared with you guys stories about this. Lucy is so trusting, so trusting. She's on the stairs at our house and she'll be like, you know, hold you. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like a couple steps away and she'll go, mm, and then she'll just jump. I mean, I could easily drop her and she would have to go to the hospital. <laughs> but she doesn't. She trusts me without hesitation. She jumps into my arms because she knows I'm going to catch her. Lucas, on the other hand, is getting a little bit older. And so now there's certain things, vain imaginations that are starting to pop into his head that he gets afraid of things that aren't even real. And then I'm explaining to him, Lucas, do you trust me? And he's like, yes. But then he's still afraid, so he doesn't trust me. So he says that he trusts me, but then his life proves otherwise. And this is us. This is what we do. When we first get saved, it's so easy to trust God. We can just jump into his arms. Whatever, God, we've got this. But then we start to grow up a little bit. We start to get our our bearings a little bit, start to understand. And then we get filled with these vain imaginations. And we start to think that we can't trust God. But we'll never say it because why would we do that? We're faithful Christians after all. So we're never going to tell God, I don't trust you. But yet your life is showing complete opposite. And God is looking at you and saying, would you just trust me? And we're saying, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Because if you trusted me, you would obey me. You would do what I said because you trust me. This is hard to learn, but I'm telling you, once you start trusting God, it gets easier and easier and easier and easier because he proves himself faithful over and over and over. He has proven himself so faithful in my life through all the different seasons that I've gone through, and I know the seasons I'm going to go through. And when something bad happens, generally, I can freak out for a moment. You're allowed to freak out. You're a human being, just like me and, me and you. We're all in the same boat together. But after the dust settles, I'm like, I know God will get me through this. I know he will. He has before. When things were way out of my control, he'll do it again. We need to be able to trust God. So the leader doesn't always have to give you all the details. God doesn't have to tell you everything. Sometimes it's just on a need-to-know basis. And sometimes, sometimes, it's because the leader doesn't even completely comprehend it either, by the way. Because Joshua didn't know exactly how they were going to do it, and he had to trust God. There's an element there that he had to trust God. And other times, it's to protect people that he leads, because they don't need to know everything. They just need to trust God. So I thought that was an interesting concept. And then, that's the first message, so he speaks to people there. And then look at verse 12, and I'll read 12 through 15 really quick. And to the Reubenites, and to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, spake Joshua saying, this is a whole different crew of people, and you have the, the, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, at least half of the tribe of Manasseh. He says this, Remember the word which, the, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest, and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan, this side of Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them, until the Lord have given you your brethren rest, as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side Jordan toward the sun rising. Okay. So here's the deal. You got Jordan, all right? And let's just pretend right here. Highway 77 is Jordan, okay? Let's just pretend that's Jordan, all right? So you have them over here. 
you have the promised land over here, and then you have the sea, Mediterranean Sea that's right here, okay? And you got Egypt down here. So they went out of Egypt, and they're on this side of Jordan. And so then they're going to cross over Jordan, and they're going to possess the land. Now they're here. While they were here on this side of Jordan, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said, you know what? We like it over here. We want to have these towns, these cities. We want to be able to build here and have our families here and everything. So Moses went and talked to God about it, and God's like, okay, that's fine. You guys can have this land. And so Moses gives them that ability because God gave it to him first. And now Joshua speaks unto them and says, now listen, you guys have your land. You have your land. You have your cities. You've started to build and all that kind of stuff. All of it. Everything's good. But here's the deal. You have to cross over Jordan with your brethren, so the men, so the, the women and the children and everybody, they can stay back here and they can do all their stuff and start building and planting and doing their vineyards, gardens and everything, building their houses, their farms, whatever. But you are going to cross over with your brethren armed and you are going to fight the battles over here until everybody here has their land and their rest and then you can cross back over and you can have your rest. Okay, get all that? Historically? Okay. Devotionally. I love this. This is fantastic. When it comes to the body of Christ, we are told to weep with them that weep and mourn with them that mourn, right? We're supposed to bear the infirmities of the weak. We're supposed to serve one another because we're a body. And as your body would, if you injure like your finger, your thumb, your toe, whatever, the rest of the body suffers with it, right? Any of you been injured before? I have. I've gotten injured before. Yes. Some people are, get injured more than others. Yes. They're called special people. Yeah. Andy. Yeah. <laughs> How many surgeries have you had to date? Uh, what is it, 2019 is the leap year? Twelve. <laughs> Twelve so far? Maybe. Yeah. More? Definitely got digits. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Minutes. All right. So, it's make fun of me Andy Day. Well, I wish for pretty much every day. Okay. So, anyway, so just think about this for a second. There are some Christians that they walk with God, and for some reason it just seems a lot easier for them to walk with God. Who knows why? I mean, it might be because they're more obedient. It might be because of their personality. I, it, it doesn't matter. The fact remains, and you guys have seen this in church, there are some people that it just seems easy for them to walk with God. Not always the case. They might put on a good appearance, but inside there might be other stuff going on. But needless to say, there are some people that were just easy to walk with God. Let me give you a good example. And I've talked about him before, but I want to talk about him again. Um, and several of the people that kind of come to mind as I think about it. But I think about Alan Vaughn. I think about your grandpa. He's someone who struggled a lot throughout the years, got saved later in life. But in his heart and his mind, he's settled in his relationship with God. Like, not settled in a bad way. He's confident in it. And because he's confident in his relationship with God, it's easier for him to make good decisions in every other area of his life. Another person I think of is my dad. My dad has walked with God for, gosh, I mean, he got saved when he was 26. He's 71 now. He's been walking with God this whole time, so like almost 50 years. And he is settled in his heart and his mind with his relationship with God. So it's much easier for him to make good decisions that honor and glorify God. And some of that just comes with experience. I mean, even like Jack, when you were discipled by Ed, kind of a similar thing, right? Like there are certain things that he was just settled in his mind with. He was stable. Now, I think about those guys, and they're not any better than you and I. They're still sinners, just like you and me. But in a way, they've found their rest. They've made their commitments to God. They don't struggle with the things they used to struggle with when they were younger. 
But God has commanded people like that, even though you have your rest, you don't get to rest until the rest of your brethren rest. And this is a great principle for you guys to understand, especially those of you that have walked with God and you've gone through some tough times in your life and God has taught you some things. There are people behind you in your spiritual walk that, you know, they might be struggling with stuff. You need to help them. You can't leave them behind. You can't just say, oh, well, they'll figure it out or not have a heart for them. Are you kidding? No. You might have found a little bit of rest in your life, but you don't get to rest until you're dead. (laughs) Honestly, you don't get to rest until everybody else has gotten their rest. And that's why ministry is something that never ends. Like as you get older, there's a lot of people that when they get older, they end up retiring and they get lazy in their life. And a lot of people end up dying earlier because they end up just getting lazy in their life. But some of the most active, productive, older people are the ones that live longer because they know they have a life to live. And as a Christian, you especially have a life to live because there are many people that need help. And just because someone's older doesn't mean that they can't relate to someone who's younger. They used to be younger once, and we all struggle with the same things. So that's another principle that I really like in there. That In there, he's like, yep, you guys got your rest, but you're going to pass over and you're going to help everybody else. And then lastly, we see, let her see, that the people respond to Joshua or Jesus. But I also put God in here too. I mean, Jesus is God, so I use God on this blank. Because when the people respond to Joshua, they're responding to Jesus. And let's take a look at what they say. Verse 16. And they answered Joshua saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, and whithersoever thou sendest us we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment and will not hearken unto thy words in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. Okay, so here's the deal. What do they basically tell Joshua? Give it, give it to me in your own words. We're going to follow you. Yep, and? Okay, all right. What else? We're missing a key element. It's kind of like, like the definition of following somebody. Yeah. I'm like, um, wherever um, he goes, I'm like, um, well, they'll go and whatever um, he does. Yeah. 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 And this is why the Christian life is very, very simple. Because whatever God says, just do it. Like, you don't have to think about it. Like, you don't have to make it up. You don't have to figure it out. Whatever God says, just do. Like, whatever. Whatever he said, just do. The hard part is the submission part. It's the submission part. It's the part inside of us that we just constantly want to rebel against God because we want to complicate things because God said to go do this. Yeah, but I don't want to do that. (laughs) But God said go and do it. Yeah, but I just don't want to. Maybe God didn't actually say that. Yay, hath God said to actually, okay. All right, now we're getting into Wednesday night because that's exactly what the devil says. Did God actually say that? And this is what we do inside of us. Did God actually say that I'm supposed to go? I mean, did he say that I'm supposed to go and just evangelize everybody? Yeah, he did. He did. (laughs) Mark 16, 15. That's exactly what he said. Did he say I'm supposed to be like a witness to like everywhere in the whole world? Like really? Like all? Yeah. Yeah. Acts 1-8. That's what he said. 
Yeah, but I mean, is Jesus really the only way? Yeah, yeah Acts 4.12. Yep. I mean, so there's certain things that God has just made very, very clear, very simple, that we just need to go and we just need to do those things. And as we go and we do those things trusting him, he'll see us through the entire way. And that was their attitude. So your attitude towards God should be whatever, whenever, wherever. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whenever you want me to do it, I'll, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go to do it, that's what I'll do. And that's really what we need to have the same heart attitude. And the people need to back their leader. They need to. If people don't back their leader, it's just going to cause rebellion and everything's going to fall apart. And that's why verse 18 is so strong. Whoever doesn't listen to you, we're going to put him to death. Rebellion has no place in the work of the Lord. The moment there is an inkling of rebellion, the whole thing will just fall apart. And I've seen that firsthand. When I was a kid, we went through, let's see, in my, just in my teenage years, two church splits at my dad's church. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen rebellion at work firsthand. Two church splits, and it destroyed people's lives. Destroyed people's lives. Now, God used it. He used it. He used it in my life. He used it to make my walk stronger with God. So he gets the glory for that. But it didn't need to happen that way. And people were hurt as a result. And so I take this job very, very seriously because I've seen the other side of it and some of the knuckleheads that try to do some of the things the way they do them. Not that I'm perfect. It's just one of those things that I never want to do that to anybody. I've seen it done. I never want to do it to anybody. All right, so here's the deal. So here's our daily perspective. Number two, and we'll hit number three. And number three, I want you to do this maybe this week in your devotions, okay? Number two. So because this needs to be your attitude, this needs to be your daily perspective. The victory is secured and God is with us. This is exactly what he told Joshua. Just take a look at these two verses. Go to verse uh, chapter one, verse five, where he says, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses, so I'll be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And then look at verse nine. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So he says in those two verses, no one's going to be able to stand against you. No one. And I'm going to be with you the whole time. Now, as a Christian, this needs to be your daily perspective because I guarantee you that if you have this in mind each and every day while you're trying to walk with God and do what God has told you, you will be more successful. Number one, any struggle that you have in your life is legitimate. In mind too. But when I remember that God has overcome and defeat the wicked one, that he has overcome sin and destruction and death and hell and everything and it's over and done with, it makes it a lot easier for me to overcome those things in my life every time. That's why I love those verses like in John 16, 33. Anyone know that one? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That he's already overcome the wicked one. And those are some of your verses that I have on your guys' study sheet. You got um, John 16, 33, 1 John 4, 4, and Romans 8, 37 through 39. All those verses scream of that stuff. And when you realize that the battle that you're in is over, like it's over, like the war is over, but yet you have these little battles that you're going through, it makes it a lot easier to be victorious in those battles. It makes it a lot easier. You need to think about that, that you've already won. Like when I die, I know where I'm going. My battle's over. But yet in the day-to-day, when I choose to follow my flesh and do the things my flesh wants, then I end up having problems. And then number three, and I'll give you the blanks, and I want you guys to look at this this week. It's going to take great strength and great courage. So strength and courage are your two blanks there. It's going to take great strength and great courage in order to disinherit enemies from the land, to obey the word of God and overcome fear and dismay and be faithful. See, you have to determine in your heart and your mind that you are going to be strong and courageous, not because of you, but because of God. He's already won the war, but now you're going to about to go into your life 
where you have giants, you have strongholds, and different things that are hard to overcome. And so in order to do it, you have to follow who? The Lord, Jesus Christ. You need to follow his lead. If you do it your way, you're going to fall. And if you fall your way, then you're going to have vain imaginations that pop up into your mind saying, I can't do this. I can't overcome this. That's because you're not following the right guy. If you follow the right guy and you have the right heart attitude and you're obedient to his word, he will show you how to overcome those things. I can't give you an exact recipe how to. I can only know how it's worked out in my life. But the overarching principle is when I stopped doing it my way and I started doing it his way, he made it possible. I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm a lot stronger because I stopped being me and started being obedient, more like him. That was my problem. That's always been my problem. I want the answers. I want to figure it out. I think I'm strong enough. No, I'm not. And once I stopped believing that, which is the truth, actually, once I stopped lying to myself about it and saying, God, I need you. You're the only one that can help me with this. Change my heart attitude. I started spending time in God's word and seeing what he has to say about this stuff. Letting those things change my heart and my mind. Letting go of those things that I used to think, the things that I used to do. And I started conforming myself to what he said. Then I ended up getting victory every single time. Victory stops when I quit and I abandon this and I start going back into my thinking, my way of doing things every time. And I have enemies. I have strongholds in my life. I still do to this day. And I need to be obedient in order to let God conquer those things. I need to be be strong and of great courage to obey the word of God because I'm not going to want to. But when I know that that's what I should do and that's how I'm going to get the victory, then it becomes a lot easier. And then overcoming fear and dismay. Because sometimes it's fearful to be obedient. Sometimes it's flat out scary to be obedient. But I'm telling you, when you understand your Savior, you understand where you're going, you understand what he has done for you. You're following his lead. You still might be fearful, but you have confidence in the process. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then you've got some hard things to really work out between you and the Lord. But some of you, I'd say that you're struggling because, because, because you're not willing to let go of you and who you are and be obedient to God. That's really what it comes down to. And it is very easy. We make it complicated. So that's what we need to pray about this week. So as we pray for each other, as you pray for the Mexico team this week, as you pray for us next week while we're gone, be praying about these things. So I'm excited to see what happens in the future. I can't wait to come back and tell you guys all about the trip and have everyone else share with the trip. It should be a lot of fun. But we need to build properly. Because if you don't build properly, you're going to have to end up tearing it down. All right. Any questions, comments? Okay. All right. Let's go and pray. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. And I pray, God, that we would hide these things in our heart, that we would live them out and be obedient. Thank you for loving us the way you do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.